So have you made any resolutions? <laughs> uh, the New Year is a traditional time in our nation and a few others across the globe that uh, does that. And it kind of makes sense, too, if you think about it. The old year is over, or in our case, almost over, and we're beginning a brand new one. It's almost like a new start, and you want to do better in this year than the last. Of course, New Year resolutions, like other resolutions, are difficult to keep. <laughs> and if you make a resolution and you don't keep it, that's a problem. You feel guilty about it. And different people have come up with different ways of avoiding that guilt. I mean, some people don't make resolutions at all, so they never fail. But then uh, they never have a chance at succeeding either. And other people uh, avoid the guilt by only making resolutions they know they can keep. For example, you might resolve not to win the lottery this year, and that's pretty easy to keep even if you insist on buying the tickets. <laughs> Where I might resolve not to win the Boston Marathon and some, uh, deprive some poor soul who actually worked and trained hard for that particular privilege. And that would be an easy one for me to keep too. In fact, I don't even have to enter to keep that one. And some people of a more practical turn of mind may simply only make one New Year's resolution not to make any other New Year's resolutions. And probably they're not going to fail there either, right? I thought... The cartoon character, little five-year-old Calvin, had an interesting take. He figured he was all right just the way he was, so he decided to make resolutions for other people. No guilt there, right? And if that other person doesn't keep the resolutions, why, it just confirms what you'd already thought about. I haven't tried that yet. I don't think I will. I'll give it a miss. And there's a reason people are prone to making resolutions at the New Year and even at other times. And it's pretty obvious, if you think about it, we're not perfect. There's room for improvement. In fact, there is a lot of room for improvement. All but the most arrogant people would readily agree that none of us have arrived. So we make the resolutions, and we try to do better. And maybe for a while, we do it. We do do better. Sometimes we even make a change that pretty much sticks with us more or less uh, for the rest of our life. We, we, we may have some ups and downs, but we more or less gotten the hang of it, and that's a good thing, right? But often, and more often than not, we fail. Big failures and little ones, but we fail. And, and even in those times we succeed, there's still so much more that needs to be changed that we've really only scratched the surface. So here's what usually happens. Most people have good intentions when they make those resolutions, but they don't uh, know what to do when they fail. So they fall back on this. Well, I, I, we're only human after all. And that works for a little while, and they try again. But soon uh, that excuse wears thin because they keep failing, and before anyone knows it, then we've stopped trying altogether. But this problem still persists. So it needs to be dealt with. And so maybe we try again, and then comes the pep talks and the self-help books and the seminars and the, the new theories, and we try again and we fail again. It's all so familiar, isn't it? And here's the hard fact. In all of our wisdom, in all of our psychology, and in our philosophy and our thoughts and theories, we don't have a solution for our brokenness. 
And, and, and since we're being honest here, let's call our brokenness by its right name. It's sin. We, you and I, and people in general, we don't know the cure for that until we turn to the Bible. That particular book of all books which knows us better than we know ourselves. And then it's there that we find not only what we can do with our failures, but we also discover the real goal that our hearts are longing for when they long for that change that our resolutions represent. Of course, the Bible has a particular application to the believer, to those men and women and children who have put their faith in Christ's work on that cross, those whose sins have been forgiven. But for everyone else, the things that we see here are an invitation to you to come and join us, to join us on a journey like no other, where God directs our way and walks with us on the path and changes us from the inside out, all according to his plan. Now, there are a lot of places in the Bible that we could turn to find uh, the help that we need. But in the particular passage that I want to look at this morning, we also find someone who has walked the same road that we walk, meeting the same failures and successes that we have met. And you know him as the Apostle Paul. And the passage that we're going to look at this morning is found in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. So you can join me there in your Bibles or simply follow along, along as the text is displayed on the screen. Now, what I love about this passage is that while Paul is talking about his own journey, he is at the same time telling me and you what my journey should look like and what your journey should look like. And the first thing we see here is that Paul says something that sounds vaguely like the excuse we mentioned a little bit ago. It's almost as if he were saying, well, I'm only human after all. But for Paul, this is not an excuse. It's a confession. So verse 12 says this, Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. And I want to stop right there for now. The it that Paul has not attained to from the context, from an earlier passage, is the perfection that comes with the resurrection. And we haven't experienced that yet personally, and neither has he. And he clarifies his meaning in that next phrase when he acknowledged that he isn't yet perfect. None of us here are either, by the way. And, and, and if this were an excuse, everything would just stop right there. Well, I'm human. And everything would end. But it doesn't stop. Paul keeps going, and he tells us what he does about the fact that he's not perfect and that he fails. And we want to look at that in just a moment. But first, let's understand this. Paul was an apostle who met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And he became an apostle when Jesus himself called and sent him. Uh, he was a man through whom God worked miracles. And he knew other apostles who had walked with Jesus a lot longer than he did. But Paul, the apostle that he was, had not arrived yet. So that means, that we need to have a realistic understanding of who we are. If Paul hadn't arrived, then most certainly neither have we. 
I don't mean we should excuse ourselves for our failures. Paul didn't do that. He confessed them. So we need to remember, we need to confess that we have a long way to go yet. And once we get that, we can go a little further with Paul. We can keep on keeping on. Verse 12 again, he says this, Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on. And again, let's pause right here. And I love that phrase, press on. It's so instructive. What Paul tells us here is that he leans in, that he pushes, that he pursues. He puts forth effort. He doesn't expect it to be easy. He's willing to exert himself. In fact, the Greek verb makes it clear to us that this is an ongoing thing with Paul. He keeps on keeping on. He keeps leaning in. He keeps maintains pushing. He, he continues to pursue. He doesn't excuse himself. In fact, the truth is he probably isn't even thinking very much about himself. He's almost certainly more focused on his goal than him. But he keeps at it. He keeps going. And you know what? All of that probably sounds pretty familiar to you, too. You've no doubt heard that, that kind of thing most of your life, whether it comes by way of some clever saying like, no pain, no gain, or in simple words like, don't give up, or winners never quit, whatever it might be. Where, where the going gets tough, the tough get going. And as advice goes, it may be, I'm not sure that it is, but it may be the best that human wisdom has to offer. It is not, however, exactly what Paul is saying. Uh, we discover the difference between human advice and Paul's exhortation when we look at their goals. In short, our goals are temporal. They're about this life. That doesn't necessarily make them bad, but it does limit them in their effectiveness. But Paul's aim was a matter of eternity. And the difference is greater even than that, as we're going to say. See, ever since Paul had come to Christ on the Damascus Road, his lifelong pursuit, from that point on, the thing which animated him was that he should walk with God. Verse 12, and this time we're going to read it all the way to the end. Not that I have already obtained it or I have already become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. Jesus took hold of Paul. He brought him into a personal relationship. And Paul spent the remainder of his life taking hold of that relationship, seeking to embrace God, more of God, and more of the life that he offered. Now, you might think that God took hold of Paul to making him an apostle, and of course he did that. But in even an apostle to be effective must walk with God. He must have a right relationship with God. And then even before Paul was an apostle, he was a believer. Paul wasn't just a tool. God loved him. And because God loved him first, Paul loved God. So while we may be telling ourselves or the people around us might be telling us, pursue the goals you set the things you want to do, things in and of this life, many of which are good things. God's calling you to a deeper 
relationship and a closer walk with him. And every time we fail at every time we fail at we get up and we keep going. We keep pursuing our walk because the truth is God is still at work in us. But we haven't arrived. So we keep on, keeping on, pursuing our relationship with God. That's what Paul tells us in verse 12. And, and that thought, that truth is so important to him in Paul's thinking that he repeats it in verses 13 and 14. And he adds to it. He clarifies his meaning. So beginning in verse 13, uh, there's a repeat of verse uh, 12. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it. But then he goes on to say that we must leave the past in the past as we read. Brothers, I don't regard myself as having laid hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. And then he repeats that he presses on, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. To have this close walk with God, which Paul saw, we must leave the past in the past so we can press forward. All of it, the past, is behind us. There's no way to change what already is. It's as though it has been set in concrete because it has been set in concrete. So if we failed, if we've sinned, we have to confess it, of course, but then we have to move on. We conquer our past sins by confessing them and leaving them in the past. And this is an arrogance. It's not presumption. If we have honestly confessed our sin, if we've had that heart-to-heart talk with our Lord about our failure, it is faith in action to turn from those things and move on. And you have to do this if you want to have a closer walk with God. And yet, you want to know something? It is not just the failures and the sins that we have to leave behind. Our past successes must be left behind, too. Uh, we thank God for those things. We thank him for his grace. We thank him for his blessing. But yet, when we have done everything that we could do, Jesus tells us we have only done what we should do. There's no resting on our laurels when it comes to walking with God. The journey continues. Our rest is in him. And so to walk with God, we have to leave the past in the past. So I want you to know, this forgetting here doesn't mean the same thing as trying not to remember or, or not remembering at all. Uh, we are going to remember things from our past in spite of ourselves, but the idea here is that this is an act of our will. We purpose to leave the past in the past. And there are times that the remembering is a good thing. We're told to remember the rock we're hewn from, that the rock that we were in, the taken out of before we came to Christ. We're to remember the good things God has done for us and giving thanks for those things. Even in past sin, even if a past sin rises in your mind and your heart, you can turn that into a good thing by remembering that you're forgiven and by taking it as a warning not to go down that road again. And I have to tell you this too. Sometimes there's an issue from your past that keeps coming back. And you want to leave it in your past, but you can't. And the reason you can't is you haven't dealt with it yet. 
And if you find that's your case, you almost certainly need somebody to help you with it. You haven't been able to resolve it on your own. And so you come and see me or some other person who knows Christ and walks with Christ. And we'll help you to walk through that and deal with that issue. And the reason we do that is so we can leave the past in the past. Our life with God is a journey. And the going means leaving the past in the past. Now, verse 14 is a repeat, uh, and so it's also an emphasis of the idea of keeping on, keeping on, but it adds some information. And Paul tells us three things there about our pressing one. They're pretty short, and we'll go through them quickly. First, at the end of our goal was a prize. The pursuing of a closer walk with God That pursuit brings a prize. It'll bring a reward to us. So we read in verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize. Awaiting us at the end of our walk is a crown of life. We will not be hurt at all by the second death. We will eat uh, from the fruit of the tree of life. We will be and know exactly who God meant us to be. We will inherit the kingdom. God will write his name on us, and we will be his treasured possession. And the most glorious thing of all is that our God will dwell with us, and we with him. We will live together forever with our God. We press on for that prize that God offers us. And in addition to that, the Bible tells us that the call we answer is upward. Verse 14 again, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call. God is calling us to rise above the world around us, to leave behind the self-consumed life that we've known all of our lives, to put to death the misdeeds of the body, all of which he himself, by the power of his Holy Spirit in us, enables us to do, so that we can be real salt and real light in this dark world. Paul puts it this way in chapter 2 of the same book, uh, that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked crooked generation as you shine among them as stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. A call is upward, leading to the prize of all prizes. And the call is of God in Christ Jesus. Again, verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upper call in Christ Jesus. When God calls, he calls us to a better life, and he calls us to that life in Christ Jesus. He is the only way. You and I and everyone else, without exception, cannot in our own power and strength please God. We cannot win the prize. We cannot rise above the world. We cannot overcome our sin. We can't even leave our past in the past. We cannot walk with them or ever reach perfection or obtain the resurrection on our own strength or merit or effort or desire. But all of that and more is ours if we belong to Christ and only if we belong to him. And here's the thing. He offers it to everybody freely as a gift out of his goodness. Not because you deserve it, none of us do, 
but because of his love for you, because Jesus died on that cross to take away your sins. Receiving that gift is as simple as confessing that you're a sinner and asking to be forgiven and asking God to be your Savior and Lord. And you can do that right now, right where you're sitting. It really is just as simple as that. Don't make it harder than it is. If you go to Christ, I mean, in your heart, you surrender to him, your life will change. You won't be the same person. You will struggle and fail, but you'll know what to do about it. And God himself will wrap you up tightly in his love. If you receive that gift today, and there are some of you who could do that, who need to do that, if you do, then please, please come tell me, won't you? So I can rejoice with you and pray with you. I promise you I won't chase you down and tackle you. But I'll love you as much as you let me love you. And for the rest of us, well, it's a good reminder of what we're to be about. That's one last thing that I'd, I'd like to mention before we close. <laughs> I began, began by talking about near year New Year resolutions because we are almost in the new year, but then I kind of left the topic behind. And I'm not really implying that there's no value in such things, uh, though I don't think we ought to make promises. There are some things in our lives that we ought to purpose to change. You know that as well as I do. But all of them, whatever they are, they fit in and under this upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And as we walk with him, he will guide us and enable us to change. We have very little power of our own. But if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, God has already taken hold of us and is working out his will in our lives. And in his time, he makes all things beautiful. So, we keep on keeping on. Leaving the past in the past. Walking close with God. To win the prize. To answer that upward call. To be in and remain in Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. And if you do that, if you've done that, if you'll commit to do that, I can make you a kind of a promise, even if you won't understand fully what I mean. I know you'll have a happy new year. Allow me to pray, please. Father, thank you for the time together, for your goodness. Thank you that you loved us before any one of us ever even gave you a thought before you were born, before, I mean, before I was born, before the people here sitting around me were born, you loved them. Before this world was made, Lord, you loved them. And you knew you would send your son to take our sins away. What a great God you are. We worship him and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.